The first reading is from John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say this? You will become free. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The sin does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The next reading um, is from John to the seven churches that were in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much, Sue, for reading. I want you to imagine, for most of us, it will be just imagining that you had a home where every day you looked out on something spectacular. So imagine this is the Grand Canyon or maybe the ocean or the Smoky Mountains or the Grand Tetons or something, Yosemite, something where you could see amazing beauty and you looked at it every day that you woke up. I am guessing that after a while of looking at that kind of picture all the time, you might at some point in time take it for granted. You might at some point in time wake up and it not stun you and catch your attention like it did at one point. I I think in that case it might take, I don't know, a, a picture or a snapshot or maybe once you get a glimpse of it and you go, my goodness, I look at this all the time. I look at this every day. Unfortunately, I believe that grace can be that way in our lives. If you've known the Lord for any amount of time, if it's been part of your life for a long time, you may begin to take it for granted. It just kind of is. It's a part of, of what you've known. And occasionally we have to wake up to the gift that is God's grace to us. And so what we've been doing over the last several weeks is kind of looking at several different angles of God's grace. We call it snapshots of grace. And you see even the different pictures here. So we've looked at different snapshots, different word pictures that tell us something of God's grace, hopefully to wake our hearts up and say, this is amazing grace. So we, we went to the courtroom and we heard how in the courtroom, God has pronounced us through Grace as not guilty, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a snapshot of grace we looked at. And then we've also looked at another picture, and you see it, the the picture of shaking hands. This is to represent God restoring a relationship that had been broken. And we read in Scripture of how God has made us friends again through Jesus, by his grace, not by what we've earned. Last week, we talked about how God took the initiative in his grace 
to take us and bring us into his family to adopt us. And this all happens through Jesus. You know, maybe you've been a Christian for years and maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're exploring what it's all about, what it all means. Central to understanding Christianity is always going to be grace. And and as we look at this, my prayer is that you would know more, not just about God's grace, but that you would know it personally and you would appreciate it more deeply. I want us to look at a a fourth snapshot of grace. And there's different ways the Bible speaks of it, but it's kind of the same picture. And that picture is redemption or freedom. Both are words used in the Bible. And it's this picture of deliverance from slavery. Let's see how God uses this picture of redemption or freedom to tell us something that maybe we've known but haven't thought about or maybe we've just never really understood. Sometimes it's really, really helpful to go all the way back to the beginning. And so in Genesis 1, and I promise you I'm not going to preach on like every chapter of the Bible, but let's go back to Genesis 1, all right? Genesis 1 is this perfect, perfect place, perfect environment. We read that God in Genesis 1 created everything out of nothing. God created people. The creation of Genesis 1 and 2 is a place where the people who God has created have freedom in the Garden of Eden that is described there. It's a world in which humans live and it's all designed for for our benefit, for our flourishing. It's a place of freedom. We're made in God's image and nothing we do or could ever do will change that. We are made in his image. We are made for fellowship with our creator, God. We are made to know and enjoy God's love. But as you read in Genesis, you go from 1 to 2 to chapter 3. In Genesis 3, all of a sudden, the story takes a dark turn. And we know we live not in a perfect world, but we know just by what we observe with our eyes, we know we live in a messed up world. We don't always act the way we should. And the people around us, they don't always act the way they should. And this world that God had made perfect with humans having perfect freedom now is messed up. We have an issue with doing the right thing 100% of the time. We all have that issue. And that issue that we have is called, in the Bible, sin. As we dive into the subject of God's grace, of freedom and redemption, I think the first thing we have to come to terms with is that slavery to sin is real. This is what the Bible teaches. So if we're taking God's word for it, we understand that slavery to sin is real. We as humans are enslaved to something. Something is imposing its will on us, and it's not for our good. And I, I want you to listen carefully, because I'm, I'm not saying that, that we don't have choices. No, no, that's part of the problem. We do have choices, and we make the wrong choices. We make the wrong choice even when we know through a painful experience in the past, we know better, and we still make the wrong choice. We have bad habits. 
And some of those bad habits spiral out of control. And, and while we could all say, well, I know, I know what it's like to break a bad habit. I had that habit once and it was kind of hard, but I, I, I changed it. But the fact is, none of us break all our bad habits. So that there just be no wrong or no evil that we ever have done. None of us in this room are going to say, you know, I think the last time I did anything wrong or bad was like 04, 05, somewhere in that. No, no, none of us are going to say that. It's just not the way it works. We know that. We know that intuitively. But we tend to question whether that's really slavery. So, I mean, it's one thing to call it a mistake. We have problems. We have issues. But to call it slavery, I mean, we begin to make excuses, say, ah, I don't think it's that bad. And we tell ourselves a story where the problems we have, they're, they're, they're not slavery. They're just, you know, some things we're working through. And we begin to think we can handle it. We begin to underestimate the power that sin begins to take on our lives. Just think about it. So, and this, this won't be a fun exercise. I'll, I'll kind of front load that. But imagine something wrong that you've done, the, the, uh, a time you've committed a sin. And if you go back to the very first time you did it, often what, what's happening that first time is you know it's wrong, and so you resist, and you resist, and you resist, and you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to go down that road. And then all your willpower is broken down, and you choose to sin. But then the next time, often the next time, it's not near the amount of struggle. You don't fight nearly as long, nearly as hard before you give in. And then over time, you're sinning easily and naturally. And for some of us in this room, I might have just described a good portion of your week where you have sinned and it has become easy and natural to do so. This thing you don't want to do. How often do you hear of someone in the bondage of addiction talk about, well, I can remember the first time I, or I remember in the early days. See, all this makes me just not overly optimistic for very long about our ability to deal with sin and the way it enslaves. And when something is serious, you really don't want to underestimate it or overlook it. Something serious, if we were to all of a sudden get a news report that there's all kinds of uh, nuclear waste all in our environment, I doubt many of us are going to go, our, kind of our gut reflex to go, ah, not that big of a deal. We'll fix it. It'll, it'll, it'll be a, not, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to underestimate it. We're not going to overlook it. Because the reality of the human condition is one of slavery. Sin makes slaves of us. So the passage that Sue read a moment ago, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus' words. In 2 Peter 2.19, it says, For whatever overcomes a person, 
To that he is enslaved. It's so interesting to me in the Old Testament, so the first two-thirds of our Bibles, the dominant story in the Old Testament and the, what, what lingers in the memory of the people of Israel in the Old Testament is how they once were slaves in Egypt and how God brought them out of that slavery into the promised land, into freedom. And I don't think it's any mistake that that's the dominant theme of the Old Testament. I think that helps us prepare and understand something going on in the New Testament, something going on spiritually with our soul, and that is we are enslaved, we are in bondage. So if sin makes slaves of us, and not like 90% of us, but 100% of us, then where do we go with that? Well, we need someone to bring us out of that slavery. We need someone to, and the, the word the Bible will use often is redeem us out of that. Pull us out of where we are, break the chains, and set us free. Someone or something that can get us out of our current condition. When we start feeling a little heat of slavery, it dawns on us like, this may be getting out of control. So how are we going to get out? Well, maybe if we just run away. Maybe if we just change our environment. Maybe the environment we are in is so negative and toxic that we've got to change it. But, the, but there's an issue with thinking that will solve the problem. I mean, that, that may be very well true. You may be in a very negative, toxic environment. But running away doesn't change something when a big part of the problem is within you. You're not going to outrun yourself. Jesus said it this way in Mark 7. It's interesting words, he says. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person so we can try to justify or try to run away, but that that isn't going to work here because these things are coming from within. And another thing, another Okay, we need to get out of slavery. So another strategy we might kind of think up is, well, I'm going to do something about this. And there's a glimmer of that that seems right. Like, okay, so you're going to take responsibility for actions, for change that needs to be made. So you decide right now, I'm going to make better life choices. I'm going to even make a note of it. Make better life choices today and this week. But then let's think about it. I, I was reading a, a paragraph by Leon Morris, and, and listen, listen to what he says. He says, take, for example, the person who has a temper. He finds that his outbursts cause trouble and unhappiness to all sorts of people, and more particularly to those he cares for most in life. So he repents. He decides that he will control himself and not say those harsh words. And if he is a strong person, perhaps he succeeds for a time. But then one day, along comes the provocation. And before he knows what is happening, he's burst out in those angry words and deeds, which brings so much unhappiness to others and deep sorrow to him. Do you see what is happening? He is not free. 
as far as this thing is concerned, he is a slave. So we decide we're going to make better life choices. But then we find ourselves in some of the same patterns. Some of that begins to work on our soul and we don't know what to do with the shame and what the guilt, with the guilt. And so we begin to think, well, maybe the answer is punishing myself, harming myself. And there's never a, a really good understanding of how that might work in our heads of why that would like resolve something. But the deeper we go into self-harm, it doesn't get us anywhere close to freedom and actually creates more bondage, more slavery. So we could go to the opposite end and go, well, I'm not going to feel bad about myself. I'm going to choose to feel good about myself. I need, I need to feel better about myself. I'm just always so down on myself. I'm always so negative on myself. So I'm, I'm just, I know how I can kind of be free from all this slavery. I'm just going to feel better about myself. But when you are engulfed in secrecy, when you are hiding things, when you are putting your own soul at risk, when you are putting at risk people that you care about, when you are doing all these things kind of undercover, is the answer. I mean, you tell me, is the answer just to feel better about yourself and your secrecy and the harm you might cause and the pain you might cause to other people? Is that an effective strategy? Is that really going to help? Is that going to get you free? Now, scripture tells us that like, there is no strategy we can devise that can deal with things at the core, at the root. The truth is that only the work of Christ can deliver us. And so here's the good news when we think about the slavery of sin. And that is that Christ has freed us through his death from the slavery of sin. This is the good news I have to offer. And it's good news not just for you, it's good news for me. It's good news for all of us. It's good news for the world. We aren't left bearing our shame, bearing our guilt, bearing all of that with no hope. We aren't left as slaves. And yet this freedom that Christ brings came at great cost. So you read in scripture of his, of his death and another word that's kind of uh, associated with that is his blood. And you read of words like ransom and price and cost. The Bible uses words when it, when it talks about redemption. The idea is like the stakes are high on this. We use the word redemption sometimes lightly. So we'll say that a person has redeemed themselves. You know, they, they had been in good favor, in good state, and then he or she messed something up. And... But now they've done something good and it all like, you've redeemed yourself on that. When scripture speaks of it, the cost is so, so great. Redemption required something big and something often that was quite awful. This kind of redemption was motivated by love. Listen to the God of all grace and the God who loves. In Mark chapter 10, 45, Listen to how he pursued us to set us free. It says in Mark 10, 45, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, ra- a ransom, a payment to redeem us for many. Galatians three thirteen, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Romans three twenty four, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 9, 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, 
not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Do you see who our Redeemer is? Do you see what redemption really is? It's not my own strategies, my own self-help efforts. It only comes through Jesus. And the fact is, when Jesus comes in flesh to redeem, redeem creation, redeem humanity, he is just showing us what God has always been like. I read passages, and, and I began to jot several of these down. So in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, God would say, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Exodus fifteen thirteen. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Psalm seventy seven fourteen. You're the God who works wonders. And you, with your arm, redeemed your people. Jeremiah 50, thus says the Lord of hosts, the people of Israel are oppressed, the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast, and they refuse to let them go. But their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will surely plead their cause. Isaiah 43 Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. The whole story of the Bible is one of redemption. God using his power, his love to redeem his people. And what's so critical to me this morning is that we understand that not in a just in a philosophical sense or in a theoretical sense, but in a very, very real sense. We are talking about real deliverance. So if we've kind of spoken in generalities of being a slave to sin, maybe we need to look at more specifics. So you have been redeemed. If you are in Christ, you have been redeemed from the slavery of materialism. So you might not have thought that the impulse to have a little bit more and have a little bit nicer stuff. At the beginning, it, it didn't seem like it was slavery, but now you find yourself with, with massive, massive consumer debt. And you're opening this card and that card, and, and there really is no good explanation other than you feel like trapped by this lifestyle you've got to maintain. And, and frankly, right now you feel the bondage of slavery. And scripture says, Christ has made you free from that. Or maybe it's the, the bondage of comparing yourself, the slavery of comparing yourself. And maybe it, it, it has become so warped that it's hard to even walk into church without wondering, am I as good as she is? Am I as good as he is? I bet I'm better than him. I'm not so sure about them. And everywhere you look, you want to look at people differently. You don't want to just kind of rate yourself and see where you compare to them. But this is now just so overtaken you. This is the only way you see the world. This is the only way you see other people. Maybe you are in the slavery of bitterness. Christ died so that you would be redeemed out of the slavery of bitterness. And you might know, as I know all too well, what bitterness can look like. It's almost as if you replay the tape of injustice against yourself. And you replay it. And you replay it. And then you find a way to slow it down so you, you get every agonizing detail of that injustice done to you. 
And every, every moment it's on like that slow, slow speed, you, you find yourself getting more bitter, more angry. And how long has it been? A year since you talked to that person? A decade since you've had a meaningful conversation? Maybe it's the, the slavery of self-righteousness and pride. And it actually has you blinded. But maybe your friends would say, he or she never tells a story where they're not the hero. Where they didn't just come in and say the right thing at all the right time. Maybe you, you always are thinking you're, you're better than others. Your opinion is more important than others. And you didn't start out to be a prideful person. But more and more, you find yourself looking down on everybody else. And more and more, your story is like, I think I'm better than most. Even if you'd never articulate it. Maybe it's the slavery of gossip. Christ died to free us from the slavery and bondage of gossip. Maybe you find yourself around a table, maybe left unchecked. This is the way lunch would go. You begin to talk about this person. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you are saying something critical, saying something negative, giving, dropping a little piece. You didn't have to say it, but there was something in you that said, I'm going to say it. I'm going to spread this piece of information. I'm not part of the problem. I'm not part of the solution, but I'm just going to weigh in my opinion. I, I, I'm going to think the worst when I could assume the best. I'm, I, I could just not say anything, but I'm, I'm going to spread it. The slavery of gossip, or maybe it's the slavery of some sort of addiction. Yeah, the first look at pornography, you never thought it would go down that road. The second look, the tenth look, the fifth day in a row, the year, the decade, you, you never envisioned this. And now it feels so crippling that you almost feel powerless to break free from it. Or maybe there's a substance that you know, you know, I, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, that it's wrecking your life, that it's wrecking people around you. And maybe you've got it hidden from a lot of people, but others, others may know it and be quite aware of it. Maybe it's slavery to anger. Something triggers and you harm people verbally. God forbid you harm people physically. Or you just say, I don't get mad, I get even. And when I get the chance. Or maybe it's the slavery of other people's opinion you are enslaved to. You, you just have to know they think you're okay. You have to know they're, they're all right with me. You just have to know that. And if you, if you, if you don't have that, you are, you're wrecked. Or maybe it's the, the loop of fear and anxiety and worry, the, the loop of uh, maybe this bad thing will happen and then it doesn't, but then you come back around, maybe, maybe this will happen and then it doesn't, but, but maybe it could and then it doesn't. And, and you begin to find yourself living day after day after day, week after week, month after month, living in just this paralysis of, of, of fear and worry. And for all of this, I would just say there's good news in that Jesus Christ died for you to be free from everything that I just mentioned. 
As a matter of fact, Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. It's not, it's not, please don't hear the wrong picture here. It's not that you would never struggle with any of these things again. But Christ died so that you would not be enslaved to them. So that they would not impose their will, calling the shots on so many aspects of your life. We have no reason to expect we'd ever be delivered from sin. We have no reason to, like, demand that from God. But God, God isn't listening for our demands. God has offered this generously. And I feel a word of just responsibility as a pastor. And I know I can speak for all of the pastors, all of the shepherds, all of the leaders, all of the staff of our church. That if you find yourself today in, in a place of slavery, in, in a, an addiction, in a place of bondage where you, you, you say, hey, I want to get out, but I don't know. I, you know, Curtis, I think I, I hear what you're saying and I'm just going gonna, gonna to try a little bit harder today. Can I invite you to do something that may, in, may now seem actually impossible? Can I invite you? I mean, every worship guide has my email address, all the staff's email address. Can I invite you before you leave today, maybe even in the next few minutes to, to reach out to someone? Because this is what I found in my life. Sin grows very well in the dark as long as I cover it, as long as I hide it. It has a way of growing and getting so far out of control. And I fear like ever telling someone. And you might fear telling your parents and you might fear telling your spouse. You might fear telling your brother or your sister in Christ. You might envision this circumstance and say, they're too bad, the risk is too high. I can't really go public with it. And so mark my words, if you do not, if you don't get some accountability, if you don't bring other of God's brothers and sisters, bring those into your life, the resources that God has given, will it be another decade of you covering your tracks, lying, manipulating? How long is it going to take? Don't let, don't let fear keep you from approaching someone who has your best interest at heart and saying, I don't know where to start, but I need help. Please, please. It makes us take note if, if we have been set free, which scripture says in Christ, if we trust in him, we have. We've been delivered out of slavery and just in closing, I, I want to say, I think that means two things need to be seen in a new light, okay? Two things need to be seen in a new light. And because we've been slaves, I can't, like, trust that I'm always going to get to those conclusions on my own. So God's word will help us, like, guide us to those conclusions. And I think what we need, need to do is we need to rethink what freedom and service looks like. We need to rethink what freedom looks like in my life if I truly am free. And we also need to look, kind of rethink what service looks like. If we start with freedom, if we start with the fact that we are free in Christ, the world would paint a picture of freedom, like the system, all the advertising would, would paint a picture that freedom is like you doing whatever, whenever, however, zero constraints. I'm not really free until I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want to. And until like everybody else tolerates it and even beyond that celebrates it. I should be free. If I want money, if I want pleasure, I ought to be totally free to get that. 
If I want to have sex, I should be able to do that. I should have complete freedom whenever, whatever, however. If I want to use a substance, I should be able to. If I want to control another person, nobody should tell me no. But you go very far down that road and you've ended up back into slavery. I mean, first Peter would tell us, like, you've been redeemed from these futile ways. Like, why are you going back to that? If it overpowers you, it's not freedom anymore. And sin is so deceptive. Yeah, frankly, you could do whatever, whenever, however. If you had a perfect heart and nothing in your flesh ever pointed you toward a rebellious or harmful thing. You could do whatever you would like if we lived in a perfect environment and nothing about the system of this world ever influenced us and allured us to do the wrong thing. You could do whatever you want, whenever you wanted, if there was no personal evil influence like the devil or a demonic influence, activity working to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to rethink freedom. So freedom isn't like zero constraints. We actually need some constraints, constraints that don't diminish freedom, but enhance it. So water isn't really a cage for a fish. Actually take them out of that environment where there is water. And that isn't, that isn't life, that's death. There is no survival. You think of tracks for a train. Those aren't really restrictive. They're actually exactly, they're, they're the only way the train is going to do what it's designed to do is going down those tracks. So what, what are the constraints that will like put your flesh in gear where you're not, not always acting on the impulses? What would freedom look like if you diminish the impact of the world on your soul? What would it look like? What would the constraint be if you prayed to the Lord, deliver me from the evil one? You prayed that regularly. For freedom, Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has died. He has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we're rethinking freedom, but we're also rethinking service. Serving another person, doing their will. And, and kind of my initial, well, okay, so I'm free, so why should I have to serve anybody? I don't want to serve anybody. I want to do what I want to do. But there's a great theologian named Bob Dylan that says, you got to serve somebody. We all will serve somebody. The sooner you come to that conclusion. But the fact is, just because you're serving somebody doesn't mean... All service has to be dehumanizing and corrupting and deadly. There is a kind of service that's like that. So part of our, part of our nation's history. A part of that is kidnapping individuals from one continent, bringing them in a very dehumanizing way to this continent and forcing them to do things against their will. It's dehumanizing and it's corrupting and it's deadly. And it's a stain that's on, on our country. And we, we, we realize that. But there's another kind of service that is so, so different from that. It's not like the ugly slavery. There's a kind of service that actually is life-giving. It makes us come alive. That makes us say, this is what I was born for. It's like almost even feeling our destiny, humanly speaking. There's the kind of service when you can imagine a, a nurse in a, 
in a room in the OR and a doctor says, can you do this? Can you get me this? Can you do this? And that, that nurse is operating in service to the, to the surgeon. But imagine everything goes well with that surgery and, and the nurse walks out that day thinking, I did the will of another, but we gave life today. I was part of a team that saved life. There, there's the in sports, when you're part of a team, you may take the direction from a, a coach or a captain. But when you play your role in service to something greater, isn't that, that's not dehumanizing. It doesn't have to be. Or you can imagine, if you're a musician, and there's a director, a conductor, and you're in service as you play, but as everybody's stands and claps, applauds. You go, I was made to be a part of this. Of course, I was fine following the direction of another. Is that dehumanizing? Absolutely not. I think that's why Paul could say in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, not by the justice or wrath of God, the anger of God, by the mercies of God. Because God is so merciful, This is what you ought to do with your body. You ought to put your body at the discretion of another person. You ought to say, here's my body. It's a living sacrifice. It's holy and acceptable to you. This is worship when I offer my body to you. 1 Corinthians 6 says this way, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You're not your own. You are bought with a price so... So then, glorify God in your body. We started in Genesis, and we saw a world in Genesis 1 and 2 that was so free. And then kind of in the middle, we see so much corruption and so much slavery to sin. We saw how Christ redeemed us from that, but the full arc of Scripture goes to Revelation, and Revelation 5, 9 says this, the the people, the believers, the Christians sing a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. They're free now, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. There's this like perfect picture of freedom and service for eternity. And because of what Jesus has done, if you've placed your faith in him, what Christ says is the chains have been broken and you are free. Can I ask you to bow your head? Oh Lord, as we think of this word, we've heard clearly today from, from you. We thank you for the freedom. I pray for brothers and sisters. I pray for those that may not even yet know you that are feeling strongly the slavery of sin. Oh God, I pray that you would dismantle our excuses today, our promises that we'll do better and try harder, that we will run to you, not away from you. Father, that even in these moments, there might be the first taste of freedom as sin is confessed and dealt with. There might be an enjoyment of your grace as the truth comes to light. So you can do this, Lord, and so much more. We pray for freedom. We pray that we would live in that perfect balance of understanding freedom with constraints and and serving you with joy. Lord, do all this to make us more like Christ. 
so that we might bring him glory. We ask all this in his name. Amen.